Hi, I'm Tamina, gender equality activist and sales professional at a global technology company. When I graduated from college in 2017, I was struggling to figure out how adulting works. School did not properly prepare me for some of the most basic things that my young professional life would eventually throw at me. If this sounds familiar, please join me on this journey to empower young women who are, just like myself, still in search of a fulfilling, purpose-driven life. Welcome to FemHive. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Leslie Chen Young. Leslie is a talent insights consultant at LinkedIn, where she empowers clients by coaching them on behavior change and data adoption. Additionally, as the founder and executive director of Commonwealth Coaching, Leslie is helping young professionals develop confidence and establish lifelong financial stability and success. And believe it or not, Leslie is also a podcast host and someone who actually inspired me to go on this journey myself. Check out her podcast called Seeds, where she and her co-host Liam are tackling young people's common money challenges. On today's episode, Leslie will share some tangible advice for young women who are just starting to think about how to manage their finances. If you feel like you already have some of the basics down, do not fear, Leslie will be coming back for a second episode to talk about some advanced strategies as well. Leslie, it's so great to have you. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, so good to be here. I'm doing well and just so excited to be part of this female-centric <laughs> movement. Thank you so much, Thamina, for starting this. I'm I'm feeling so energized just talking to you. Oh, you're too sweet, Leslie. I, I, I so appreciate it. Like I said, you starting your own podcast, it was really an inspiration um, for me to, to actually um, be confident enough to give this a try myself. So thank you for that. <laughs> Of course. Yes, we have to lift each other up. Seriously. I mean, I need more female voices to listen to in my ear. So uh, thank you from everyone else and myself. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, look, how about we just get started? I mean, I was just mentioning in, in the intro that you work um, for LinkedIn as a talent insights consultant. Like, how did you end up at LinkedIn? And what exactly is it that you're doing in your job, Leslie? <laughs> Yes, definitely. Well, it's it's a bit of an interesting story. If you follow me or are friends with me on LinkedIn, you'll probably see in my profile. But I uh, went to Duke. Actually, that's uh, kind of where Thamina and I originally connected. Um, and at Duke, I studied energy economics and found myself really intrigued by this marriage of kind of economics as well as how people interact. And so I was constantly seeking out experiences to try to learn more about that in the real world. Of course, realizing close to my graduation that I could do that really well in business. So I quickly pivoted from the academic side of things into how can I get into business? What's going to be most important for me to learn? And LinkedIn has an incredible sales program called the Business Leadership Program that I was lucky enough to be a part of. And through that experience, not only got an introduction to technology, to sales, but ended up meeting my current team where we use kind of supply and demand trends of the global workforce to help advise our customers on how they can really elevate their strategies when it comes to talent. So I have to say, you know, looking back a couple of years, I could not have told you, I could not have pre-written this <laughs> script um, for how I ended up here, but 
I absolutely love my job now and, and love LinkedIn as, as just a place to work. I'm feeling super blessed in general. Oh, that that's awesome to hear. Um, I think you're just mentioning um, this like business leadership program that uh, both of us were actually a part of. Um, to those listeners who are maybe still in college and are still trying to figure out their post-graduation plans, like could you talk a little bit more about, about this business leadership program at LinkedIn? Yeah, definitely. So one uh, piece of advice I'd share with you is to really look for some rotational programs similar to the business leadership program at LinkedIn. And what that's going to do for you is actually kind of almost give you a development track, a development curriculum while you're starting your corporate experience. Um, and through that kind of show you the ropes throughout a couple of different departments, landing you in, you know, one role or a function, depending on what the program is like. So in general, this entire category of career explore exploration is uh, rotational programs. So LinkedIn as a company has the business leadership program, a rotational program designed to help get young people into sales careers. And I would highly recommend it for anyone who would love to get into business and be a leader in business because sales is absolutely fundamental. One of my mentors actually often says, no margin, no mission. And that's basically another way of saying, you know, regardless of what you want to be able to do in the world, it has to make sense operationally and from a business standpoint. And so using that and pushing myself to be in a, a very different environment than I had been before, I really enjoyed my sales experience within the business leadership program because it allowed me to get insight into What's that core interaction, that core kind of sales uh, experience that both the buyer and the seller go through and really try to use to drive a society, a movement, an idea forward? So uh, definitely would recommend this program at LinkedIn and, and other rotational programs for recent or soon to be grads. Thank you so much for that summary. Uh, I can only second that. I had an amazing experience. And, um, you know, similar to you, I, I, I was not, you know, considering a career in sales. I don't think college really advertises sales as a potential career path all that well. So I myself shifted from kind of marketing and social media marketing to, to sales. And I do also uh, believe that is a great foundation if you do want to um, have a career in business in general. So awesome. Thank you for for, for, sure. for um, highlighting that, Leslie. So let, let's yeah. let's shift gears a little bit um, because today we're obviously going to talk about, you know, the topic of how to manage your money. And from personal experience, I feel like learning how to manage your money is not something you learn in high school or even college. How did you become interested in that topic of personal finance? I am so glad you asked. And what you said about not learning about money in high school or college, that is exactly why I became so passionate and excited about this topic. Because to be honest with you, I grew up with an incredible support system, a loving family, a wonderful group of friends, so many opportunities at school and otherwise, and, and going to a great university like Duke. And yet, I was as I was planning to move to Chicago to start my dream job at LinkedIn, I had no idea how to 
think about what I could afford for rent. I had no idea how to navigate my relocation. I had no idea what I should be doing with my sign-on bonus. I, I was so clueless. And that really angered me. It actually angered me and made me feel like if I, you know, having all of these blessings, all of these resources at my fingertips are feeling so demoralized and so unsure about how to move forward, this must be such an incredibly difficult experience, not only for people like me, but for any student who is about to graduate or about to start their career, or even when they're in their career, not knowing where to go next. And so it was actually out of that pain point or out of that honestly terrible experience of going to our, our career services. And um, when I asked about, you know, learning about financial literacy, they sent me to some pre-recorded classes and YouTube links. And I was like, well, great, that's not going to be enough for me. Um, and I started this journey of almost self-teaching. How can I master my finances? How can I be the captain of my own ship? And how can I ultimately create this experience where I'm building generational wealth for myself, for my future kids, my future grandkids, and also educating other people along the way about how to do this holistically. So from a resource standpoint, I started to look into so many different books. I think I Will Teach You to Be Rich by uh, Ramit Sethi is one of them. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, of course, is another huge one. Um, but reading, really, really consuming probably about a book a month from the finance front. And then also getting acquainted with resources like Nerd Wallet or Penny Hoarder or 360 Financial Literacy. These are all online websites that honestly, you know, there might be a little bit of improvement or opportunity that could be done in just making them more accessible. But I seriously was reading through these with like a, a highlighter and a notepad, just trying to understand how I can make this work for myself. That's that's incredible. I love the proactivity on on your end. And I, I mean, for me, I had a similar experience where I just graduated from from Duke and I, I was still staying on at the school for a, a one year long fellowship. And that's when I start to think about my own finances and how little I actually knew about it. And I was almost embarrassed by that because it, yeah. in my head, I was thinking, okay, everyone else must have figured that out. I mean, we were all like supposed to be smart people who graduated from a great school and who were about to start yeah. working at amazing companies. But then uh, the more time I spent investing and having conversations, especially with my girlfriends, the more I started to realize that this is actually something that most people do not have a clue about, especially not in their early or mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I think the piece that you touched on, on feeling like you're you're missing out or that you're behind or that in some way something mm -hmm. is wrong with you, that definitely crossed my mind, you know, more, more times than I can count. And I think that is also what's most crippling because while we talk to our girlfriends and our partners and our families about, you know, our, our romantic lives and our career and our health and everything, for some reason, I just think that our, our financial health and financial well-being has been largely excluded from those conversations. And part of it, and this is just my opinion, but part of it is because there's this idea that if you're not a numbers mm. person, if you're not a finance guy, you know, if you're not insert, you know, typical phrase in here, then this isn't for you. 
But the reality is, whether you're doing Teach for America or you've got a big, you know, job on Wall Street or you've decided to, you know, live abroad and and maybe even return back home for you, right, in, in Munich, you have to, in some way, manage your finances to have the lifestyle that you want. And this is non-discriminatory. There is nobody who is exempt from this. And then as I thought about it, just as a you know woman and a woman of color and someone who is very ambitious and I have a lot of goals for, for my life and how I want to leave an impact, I thought too about the added kind of strain of typically women, even in a, in a relationship or even in their careers, kind of not knowing how to navigate some of these questions just because of the lack of exposure because of our, our gender. And I think that's such a missed opportunity. So I, I really, you know, encourage those that are feeling like they're missing out or they're not good enough or that they're, they're not, they don't like numbers and they don't like money and, you know, all of those lies that we tell to ourselves. Um, I would definitely encourage you to, to recognize the things that actually you, you are really good at and to recognize that this is a part of your life, just like your mental well-being or the trajectory of your career and start to seek out resources that could help you along that way because you are definitely and cannot emphasize enough definitely not alone so 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 well said and something that you just touched upon um, really resonated with me personally the whole thing about not being a numbers person you know when I think about being back in school I just hated math Um, stats 101 (laughs) was the only class that I had to take for my major and it was like the worst grade that I ever got throughout my entire college career so connecting numbers with finance seems obvious right but at the end of the day like we were saying it's about educating yourself in order to be able to live the life that you deserve to live and throughout my own personal journey Mm. of educating myself on personal finance at some point when it clicked it started to feel so so empowering to know what different options are out there and even when I just invest some of my money or deposit something to my savings account it's the best feeling ever and it doesn't mean that I started to love numbers all of a sudden um, quite the opposite Mm -hmm. but it's just about thinking okay what options do I want to have later in life what kind of life do I want to provide for my future children and grandchildren like you were mentioning as well so um, Mm -hmm. yeah definitely seconding everything that you're just saying I, I know it's it's so funny that, you know, you feel like you're in a silo and then the minute that you start to be vulnerable with someone about like what you're really thinking, you never realize like how connected your thoughts are with, with you know, yours, Femina, or just in general that so many of us have had these thoughts recurring and we just sometimes don't have the courage or even aren't invited to share that. So no, I I completely agree with you. And I think for those that are, you know, on that not liking numbers route, unfortunately, I was like forced, maybe, maybe this is fortunately, but I it was forced by my very quantitatively gifted family to be, you know, into math, into science from an early age. And so I always was, uh, was trying to, you know, work through those summer workbooks, workbooks from Barnes and Noble. And meanwhile, my friends are at summer camps. And you know, that's a story for a different time. But uh, even for people that don't like numbers, that doesn't mean that finance doesn't 
can't be for you or that you can't really master it yourself. I think one of my favorite things about this being empowered with my own financial journey is learning how to automate Mm. everything so that I am spending less and less time in front of an Excel sheet or in front of my account statements and more and more time out traveling with friends, you know, seeing family. It's all about crafting that life that's right for you. And so I am so glad that we're on the same page because I feel like, and I have a hunch that some listeners to this show will, will probably be in similar shoes. Totally, totally. So let's talk a little bit about your journey of um, becoming the founder and executive director of Commonwealth Coaching. That's, that's so amazing that you have your own company on the side list. So you Tell us a little bit about how the idea came about and and how you ended up actually founding that company. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, around the same time in the story, when I was about to graduate, getting ready to move to Chicago, getting sent YouTube links um, from our career center, I was like, all right, this cannot just be me. I know I'm not going crazy. Let me talk to others that are on campus and see how they're navigating this. And so I actually went on this almost crusade throughout my uh, my friend group at, at Duke. So if anyone here is, you know, part of that group, thank you for being part of Commonwealth Coaching's initial round of research. Um, but I basically asked, you know, what are some of your top fears and challenges and what are you currently doing to try to overcome them from a finance side of things? And as I kept going through, you know, that process, I spoke to just about just under about 100 different people. And I actually did keep track of all these conversations. I started to see some themes that were emerging. Mainly, I don't have the right resources and I'm lacking the confidence. And so given that, I decided, let me start a newsletter. It'll be, you know, me writing to, again, my eight friends. um, And maybe they'll get something good out of it. Maybe I can just, you know, send some articles that I'm finding, again, citing everything because I'm self-learning and self-teaching at the same time. But at least I can start to answer some of these questions that everybody seems to have on their mind. So I started that newsletter probably in about, you know, April of 2018. And the newsletter, you know, grew pretty modestly, you know, over the next couple of months. Then I had, you know, started my full-time role at LinkedIn. And as I was starting this newsletter, I had people coming up coming up to me and, and reaching out to me asking, hey, Leslie, I, I, I love the, the content you're putting out there. Could you help me, you know, in creating a budget? Like, could you help me in figuring out how I can move to LA? Can you help me in figuring out, you know, X, Y, and Z? And from there, my answer was always, of course, yes, I would love to. But I also want to be transparent that this is just from my own life experience, from me navigating this myself. Here are all the resources and all the sources that I'm citing, uh, because I don't want to lead anyone astray and almost felt this like imposter syndrome of, well, I'm not a finance guy, you know, I, I, am I qualified to talk about this? And I think it was one of my really good friends, actually, and I was having a, a vulnerable moment with her. And she was like, Leslie, I don't think you get it. The fact that you aren't a finance guy, the fact that you are doing this on your own, in addition to your full-fledged career, and as a person who has many other interests, that's why so many people keep coming to you. That's why you're almost like you know showing the proof of concept that you don't have to fit into this box to be good at this. And when she said that, I I initially was like, oh man, you're just you know being a wonderful <laughs> friend. I yeah, I love and appreciate you, but 
after sitting on it and sleeping on it, I realized that that was really my differentiator. And so when people started to come to me to ask for advice, I first thing I did was look up, okay, well, you know, what makes the most sense? How, how have other people positioned themselves in this situation? And of course, learning about financial coaches being almost that peer-to-peer accountability partner, really leveraging what's known as the best practice in the industry, and then bringing that back to a client to be able to empower them with more information. I realized that was something that I was not only, you know, qualified to do, I was well-equipped to do it. And from there, uh, set up, you know, a, a, a website, <laughs> set up um, a photo shoot with my friend's boyfriend and got a couple great pictures and started Commonwealth Coaching in probably about May of, of that year, May of 2018, to be able to start helping people one-on-one, helping them navigate some of those key questions where they didn't feel comfortable going to their family's financial planner, or they didn't feel comfortable going to a friend of a friend who works on Wall Street to try to understand what is a 401k. Does that mean I need $400,000? Okay. The short answer is no, but you'd, you'd be surprised how many people don't know that just from lack of exposure and it's not their fault either. So, um, all of those things together helped me to start my company. And once I started, the newsletter you know, transitioned into one-on-one clients, transitioned into workshops, and now bringing on Seeds, our podcast, it's just been incredible growth that I could not have ever imagined because the sole purpose of this was how can I use what I'm learning to help other people not have to go through what I'm going through. And for me, that impact, being able to say, you know, I'm reaching nine different countries, being able to say I've talked to 350 people in person through workshops or coaching, being able to say I have over 3,000 plays, that is, that impact is so wonderful to me. And I'm so grateful for the journey so Wow. First of all, let's pause there. Wow. (laughs) I'm so, so impressed. I mean... I always knew you were an impressive lady, Leslie, but this is just amazing. Oh. Congratulations and and well done. Um, I love, love, love to hear these stories of, of women who are just so proactive and following their passions, but also always keeping in mind that they want to help people at the end of the day. So um, that's mm-hmm. amazing. And your advantage was the fact that you were super relatable because you had just gone through that, you know, self-education yourself. You're trying to figure everything around the topic of personal finance out yourself. And then you just started to help people who were probably mm-hmm. in a similar situation. They just graduated from college. They were maybe moving to a new city and and were confronted with all of these challenges around around finances. And that's such a wonderful story. And again, congratulations. Thank you so much. It, it's very humbling. Um, but I, I mean, talking to people like you and having these conversations just gives me so much energy to keep going. I think there's certainly so much that we've done, but so much opportunity in the future to continue to bring confidence to people who have been underserved and to continue to bring in people who feel excluded by this industry. So just know that you're just getting started over here, but I'm, I'm so glad to at least Absolutely. have a small sliver of impact so, so far. In your role as a financial coach, what would you say are the most common mistakes people are making and how can they avoid them? 
Mm, this is a great question. I, I think one of the most common mistakes is uh, not really knowing what your burn rate looks like. And I'll break that down a little bit, uh, particularly because the idea of a burn rate is probably unfamiliar to, to a lot of listeners. So um, within the within the finance space or even just thinking about any resource, like any, uh, maybe it's even like a, a lip balm, a favorite lip balm. Like the amount of times that you use that lip balm, uh, that actually equates to like how quickly you're going to need to replace it, right? Like I've got my favorite chapstick from CVS and I'm buying that thing probably about once, like every four weeks. Um, and that idea of kind of a burn rate, how quickly you're going through something also applies to your money. In a lot of ways, most people come to me and they're like, honestly, the money comes in, the money goes out. I have no idea where it goes. And being in the dark about what that burn rate looks like, or in other words, how you're spending your money is such a, a huge kind of issue that people have because it doesn't allow you to move forward. It doesn't allow you to be strategic about what you're actually spending that hard earned money on, as well as understanding how your short term actions influence your long term goals. So I'd say that is kind of number one across the board. And the second one that I'll offer up is just the idea that a budget has to be restrictive. I think a lot of people come in to me and, and they uh, think, okay, Leslie's going to whip me in shape. You know, she's going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. And I always laugh at this because in some way, you know, yes, I might give you some pointers here and there. Um, but in another way, I think uh, people really think that they need to kind of discipline themselves and be strict with themselves and not allow themselves to have fun. And that is just not sustainable whatsoever. So if you're able to, one, understand understand your burn rate, and then two, reframe how you're thinking about your budget or reframe how you're thinking about that discipline into, I want to empower myself to do the things that are really important. That is really unlocking the key and unlocking the foundation to long-term success. Awesome. That's that's such a, such a good piece of advice right there. So when it comes to making a plan for your personal finances, what would you say should college seniors who are about to enter the workforce or women who just graduated focus on first when it comes to making that plan? Mm -hmm. I, uh, in, in doing this and creating plans for myself and others, I'm definitely a person who first looks at constraints so what that means is, you know, what are the things that are like actually uncontrollable for me that I'm going to have to work around? So for some people, especially coming out of college, that's going to be student loan debt. There's going to be some minimums that you're going to start being responsible for now that you've graduated. Um, so that could be an example of a constraint. Another example of a constraint might be, you know, I am hoping to, or I'm starting this new role. I know that I'm going to be making this income before taxes. Okay, that's another constraint. That's not that's something that you probably can't control or, or can't change as you're starting to create this plan. So I'd say, number one, get a good understanding of what your constraints are, what your uncontrollables are. And then number two, get a really solid understanding of what your basic human needs are. And you can think about that in terms of, you know, housing, you need somewhere to live. 
food. You do need to nourish yourself um, as well as transportation. How are you going to get to and from your workplace? Of course, in this post COVID uh, environment, if, if at all applicable and, and finally, how will you be able to connect? So whether that is, you know, having a phone, paying that phone bill, having internet um, or, or, or any other of kind of the, the categories underneath that. So number one, what are my constraints? Number two, what do I need? as a basic essential to live. And then third, I would compare the constraints against what you basically need to live. And this is like the foundations of making sure that everything that you need to wake up and give your best effort every day is accounted for. And as you're doing that step number three, you'll realize how much wiggle room you have to be able to start thinking for the long term, right? After you after you take care of yourself in the short term, in the immediate future, have a roof over your head, what needs to happen in the long term? And that might look like, okay, if I do have debt of any kind, whether it be a, a car note, credit card, student loan payments, how can I you know, accelerate paying off that debt? If maybe I have friends or family in a different region than me, how can I start to accommodate for upcoming travel? If I'm in a situation where I'm able to start uh, contributing to retirement, can I start doing that in a way that's sustainable as well as affordable? You know, that the opportunities there are endless when it comes to what are those goals. But where I see a lot of people struggling is they they graduate from school or they're just about to graduate and they hear, I should be investing or I should, I should have my 401k. I need to go into real estate. I need to pay off my loans. They get really, really anxious about kind of step three without having done steps one and two, which are absolutely crucial to starting to feel some stability as well as some control over how you're going to move forward as an adult. Absolutely. And that's a process, right? You know, you need to figure out, okay, what are my constraints and what are my baseline needs and what do I need in addition to that in order to also, you know, enjoy life and that is something that you cannot just figure out over the course of a couple of days or a couple of weeks. I would assume that takes a couple of months, especially when you graduate from college and Mm -hmm. just move to a whole new city. Yeah, certainly. And, and if you are still in college or, or just trying to test this out, uh, a good kind of exercise might be you know, for a week, maybe just take seven days or, or however long you, you'd like to take and, you know, write down what you're spending on different categories or better yet, download an app like a Clarity Money or a Mint or, you know, countless of, of budgeting apps out there just to see kind of what does it take for you to live if you're not familiar with that already. A, a lot of people, you know, getting out of college is the first time that they're kind of financially independent and responsible for taking care of themselves and, and finding financing that. So getting an understanding of how much do I spend on food per week, that could be a really eye-opening experience. And you might be concerned. You also might be like, oh, that's not too bad. Um, But that will help you get an idea of what those constraints are uh, and what kind of those living expenses are in steps. Absolutely. Um, Leslie, you were mentioning a student debt a few um, moments ago. Obviously, that is an important Mm -hmm. topic um, to talk about as well. Um, Someone who is tens and tens of thousands of dollars or maybe even more in debt is likely not even considering, Mm -hmm. let's say, investing money before actually paying off their loans. 
However, that might not mm-hmm. always be the smartest move in the end. How should people with significant student debt decide between paying off debt and investing? Yeah, this is a, I mean, this topic alone, I think could warrant an entire day, if not multiple days of discussion, right? And we've, we've tried to tackle this on on the podcast as well. But I I break this down um, into two core uh, components, because I do get this question often, you know, I'm I'm a student, should I be buying a house? I have a loan, should I be investing, you know, and and people most often want a yes or no. They want to know, okay, what should I take next? Uh, When in reality, the smart thing to do and the mature thing to do is take a step back and really assess what's going to be right for you and what is your exact situation, not just on on numbers, not just on paper, but also kind of what is your emotional and, and mental state and what's driving some of that urgency or driving some of that anxiety for you. So let me paint the picture for you, Tamina, of, of two completely different scenarios, but answering the same Sounds question, great. <laughs> okay? So uh, on, on one hand, okay, the two categories that we have here are the number side and the emotion side, okay? Numbers side, I think most people are going to get pretty easily. It's how much do you have in debt? What might your interest rate be? How affordable would it be to pay the minimums on your debt? How affordable would it be to pay additional uh money towards your debt? How much are you thinking about, you know, how much you're paying overall in interest? Is that a concern to you? At the end of the day, are you looking to try to beat that interest rate by doing other investments? So many questions there on the number side, right? On the emotion side of things, you're worth probably thinking about the fact that if you're going into a full-time role, you might be at first kind of navigating that, that 401k for the first time. That's a investment account specifically for retirement. And you may be hearing your entire, you know, cohort or all of your coworkers talking about taking advantage of this, taking advantage of an employee stock purchase plan and feeling like, man, like I, I'm not there yet. That's not for me. I'm feeling pretty crappy about being in the situation. I'm kind of nervous about it. Or maybe you're bringing in kind of thoughts about where your family has been in the past. And given that you may be the first, if not one of the first uh, few to have graduated school or to be in your current kind of tax bracket or or income generating level, you're thinking, man, I, I made it. I need to do well. I need to keep going. I have to accelerate, right? So you can see how if you just focus on the numbers, you're actually leaving out a big part of that emotional consideration, which is why a lot of people get stressed out thinking about investing and even start to question themselves like we're talking about earlier, well, you know, that's not for me. You know, I just, I just want to get this debt out of the way and I'm not a numbers person, so I'm not going to be good at investing, you know, all of these like, you know, lies that we tell ourselves. So those are the two frameworks in which I think about answering this question and using those numbers and using those emotions, you could have two completely different answers Mm. to this question, right? So on, on one side of the spectrum, you could have someone who, you know, has, you know, a considerable amount of student debt. They know that they, they're going into having a lot of debt. 
they they maybe have that debt at a, a 3.5 or 4% interest rate. Maybe they have a federal student loan from the U.S. government, or maybe they have some private loans. Um, but they're looking at the debt on the number side of things. They're also thinking that they want to start, start getting used to the idea of investing because they know that they want to be actively involved in the stock market. And because of that, they're looking at their 401k and thinking, hmm, I know that this typically gets 6% returns, maybe, you know, adjusted after taxes. And, and given that, it'll be a net positive to my net worth, you know, comparing the 6% that you may grow your money in the stock market to the 35 to 4% that you might be, you know, paying off your debt, you're still going to get a, a net gain in there. So it makes sense to try to invest right now. I'm comfortable with the idea of doing both at the same time and potentially taking 20 years to pay off the student loan. I'd like to start now. For them, it might be a good decision to start investing before paying off their loans. On the other side of, of the spectrum, and of course, you know, situation number one still includes paying off the loans. You don't just stop doing it. You know, you're, you're doing it, but a little bit slower. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, we may be kind of really new to the idea of investing, as well as really uh, kind of overwhelmed by the idea of having to pay down debt. The idea of having something over our heads or, or weighing on our shoulders for 20 years is just completely unfathomable. And based on that, it makes sense to kind of take a step-by-step approach in terms of, one, can I get this debt down as aggressively as possible? And then once I do that, I will have kind of free reign to go into investing as, as early as I can. And for that kind of situation and that person, I think it might be a, a better idea to consider paying off loans in entirety if you can, and then starting to get into investing. And in the broad scheme of things, Tamina, I think it is a beautiful question to ask as you're starting to graduate because, uh, you know, based on kind of average statistics, you may be close to 22, 23 years old as you're graduating. If you're able to pay off your debt, you know, within within five years or maybe even three years, if you're being extra aggressive, you would still be starting off investing relatively early, which is incredible. Um, and so with kind of taking those two scenarios, I'd encourage any listeners to first think about what are the numbers behind this decision and what are some of the emotions that are driving me? And then given our two kind of mock examples, which one sounds a little bit more similar to the way that I'm feeling? Based on that, where am I kind of leaning in terms of my strategy? But as you can tell, even as I'm walking <laughs> through this, Tamina, it is so difficult to say definitively yes or no. Um, and I highly encourage individuals to really give themselves the time and the space and, and empower themselves to make that decision. Yeah, of course. I think uh, just in general on the topic of personal finances, there is no one size fits all. So uh, there's yes. definitely a couple of different <laughs> things that people have to take into consideration. But um, I love the distinction between numbers and, and emotions because I do think uh, that is really important because at the end of the day, even though we can say, oh, money is not everything, but it is something that is really important. And um, having money stress, it's something that that is not very pleasant. So asking yourself mm -hmm. those questions early on is is a good strategy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It really is. Um, 
to those people who are completely new to the whole topic of investing money, Leslie, what different investment options are even out there for young professionals? Ooh, so many. I'll try to breeze through a crash yeah. course, okay? Um, so there, there's a lot of different categories of ways to invest. And of course, the idea of investing is putting your money into something, expecting that that money would potentially grow based on the growth of the value of, of where you've put your money. So that could be investing in a business, you know, putting in $100 and being able to sell your business for $10,000. That's an investment. That could be in real estate, you know, buying a, a property or buying a piece of land for $1,000 and selling it later on 10 years later for 6000 It could also be within the stock market or any other type of market where uh, you're able to kind of buy into different assets and those assets may or may not increase in value over time. So there's a bunch of different options out there. I've just outlined three broad categories being kind of businesses, real estate, and, and the market. But most people, when they're asking about investment, they're asking about the third one, which is how can I get invested in the market? What are stocks? Um, and I certainly you know, am, am not the end-all, be-all resource <laughs> for every single type of asset or commodity out there. But when it comes to kind of how to invest, especially as a young professional, you may be familiar with apps like Robinhood or Acorns or Stash that allow you to, with a very small amount of money, and I'm really thinking, you know, $5, $10, even $20, sign up for this app and start to learn about investing while you're kind of dipping your toe in the water there. So those are some some ways that you might be wanting to start if you're especially learning for you know, looking for a, a resource a learning resource. Um, there's also the option of kind of opening your own investment account. So we've talked about, or I've mentioned the 401k. That is an a, a investment account that is designed for retirement. So uh, most people who are in a full-time role, if they're working for a large employer, that employer might actually sponsor a 401k account for you. And in contributing to that 401k, you are actually investing, which most people don't know. Um, other types of accounts you can open include individual retirement accounts or IRAs, and a popular type is a Roth IRA. Those are accounts that you know people can open up at any time without their employer and start investing, again, for uh, some of the retirement benefits based on how that account is, is um, built out. But as you see in this, in this in this category of opening your own investment account, kind of the the world is is your oyster when thinking about investing in different types of assets, whether they be individual stocks or bonds or mutual funds or real estate investment trusts. There's so many options out there if you go that individual route. Um, the, the last category here is actually one that's a little bit more uh, geared towards folks that don't want to be super hands-on in their investments. And I'll be honest, that is 100% my category. I like, if I'm spending more than an hour per year thinking about my investments, I'm going a little bit crazy. So I like things to be as easy as possible. And in that way, you can actually look into some online apps called robo-advisors. It's a category of apps that will help you to 
invest in a diversified way based on what your preferences are from a risk standpoint, kind of do that automatically, as well as working with an investment professional. So for that, that would probably be a financial planner or CFP. You can look for that uh, professional designation. Those are individuals that will take your money for you and invest it for a certain fee or percentage. So tons of investment options out there, Thamina, of course. Uh, I know we don't have time to go into them all, but I I would definitely uh, start to do research on some of those different categories, you know, those self, um, you know, single stock or, or early starter investment apps maybe even your own brokerage accounts, and then also some of the robo-advisors or financial planners. Those are all out there and accessible to young professionals everywhere. Yeah, the world truly is your oyster. So many different options (laughs) out there. So um, yeah, we will definitely not get bored when it comes to educating ourselves on all these different options out there. Um, You were mentioning earlier, Leslie, that you're really looking to build generational wealth. And obviously, that does not happen Mm -hmm. overnight. Just like with most types of investments, it does take time. And Speaking from personal experience, when I started investing, you know, once I had my first real job out of college, I was absolutely blown away with the concept of (laughs) compounding. And I almost got angry with myself that I did not start earlier. Can you please explain what compounding interest means and why it is so crucial to start as early as possible? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you brought this up, Damina, because it was equally mind-blowing for me as well, okay? Um, And honestly, I think the idea of compounding, if you Google it, go to, you know, Investopedia or any of those online resources, you may be kind of dismayed by all of the different financial jargon, to be quite honest, that's out there. So I'm a visual learner. I got two visuals for you today, listeners. So Compound interest, number one. Think about it as, you know, a snowball that is at the top of a hill. It's a really, really, really tall hill. And all you need to start it is just making a tiny snowball that is, you know, can fit within your two hands. As you roll that snowball down the hill and it goes for miles and miles and miles and miles, it starts to accumulate so much additional snow that builds on the initial ball that you had as you pushed down the hill that by the time it stops, and I'm talking like miles, I'm talking like 10 miles, you know, or even kilometers, because I know we're an international crowd here. Think like 50 kilometers, you know, we are at the time you're at that 50 kilometer mark. That snowball is probably bigger than you as a person. It might even bigger than a, be bigger than a couple of people altogether. Um, that is kind of the, the visual beauty of compound interest. It's the idea that as you invest something that starts off small, by gaining interest and gaining more and more interest over time, which is basically just kind of, you know, that money growing on itself over time automatically, It'll continue to grow, and at the end of a long period of time, and in our example, that distance, 
you'll be able to see a much kind of bigger sum of money than if you initially had just kept or held on to that snowball. So in dollar amounts, for example, I, I try to do a, a quick calculation for you because I, I, I know some people are also like, okay, put some numbers yeah. to it, right? Um, in dollar amounts, what would, what would that look like? So let's say we just had $10 initially, right? And we wanted to invest that $10 for 50 years. And we put that $10 into some kind of account that earned 3% interest. So every uh, every year, we're going to add an additional 3% uh, or, or in this case, 30 cents to that $10, right? So if I kind of calculate what that, what that compounding looks like in 50 years, that $10 grows to over $40. It all over, you know, quadruples itself by just staying there and just continuing to build on itself kind of every year, 3% over and over again. Now, that's really powerful if we just have $10, but let's imagine if that's $1,000, for example. We recalculate this. Now that $1,000 turns into $4,000. And you can see that as you kind of continue to build wealth and as you continue to accumulate more in your savings as well as in your portfolio, this idea of compound interest can really take you from stashing you know, cash under your mattress to letting that cash grow uh, over time over a long period of time uh, without really needing to, to do anything to it. It's such an incredible concept, and I'm so glad you brought it up, Damina. It's absolutely fundamental to building multiple long Absolutely. Thank you so much for explaining that. And I mean, it's 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 just incredible. Literally, I, I'm still blown away every time I do some some calculations around that or if I try to explain it to my friends and then they're equally blown away. Um, I, I, I'm just so <laughs> surprised that that is not something that we get taught in school. Like, why, why, why mm -hmm. is that not a thing? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think it, it might go back to just the styles of teaching finance. And it, it's just really not attractive to a lot of people, particularly, and I, I hate to generalize, but particularly to women who, you know, a, a lot of times were meant to feel kind of unsafe or mm -hmm. uncomfortable in these spaces where there's just a lot of financial jargon being thrown at us all the time. And so you hear the idea of, of compound interest and you're like, okay, first of all, like, how are we using compound in this sentence? Second of all, what is interest? You know, what, what are all of these kind of calculations that are being thrown out there? It's intimidating. So I, I really hope that as we continue to develop kind of globally, we can start to think about how to better educate people in a way that's accessible. Because um, I certainly, I feel like once people get compound interest, they are going to be so excited about the world of, Absolutely. of finance. And I love that snowball metaphor that you were providing earlier. I think that's a really great visual way to, to kind of think about compound interest. Um, and speaking of how women approach finance. What difference do you see between how men and women approach managing their money? Mm, yeah, you know, this is a this is an interesting question because I have the perspective of working with people through Commonwealth coaching. 
And I also have the perspective of trying to just observe in general the, the industry trend. Um, and on, on the industry side of things, so the higher level, I'm seeing that men in, in general seem to be kind of asking more of these questions at a, a younger age and maybe even taking advantage of working with kind of uh, family members or mentors that kind of want to take them under their wing and show them either how their family manages their finances or in some way kind of educate them from a, from a number side of things on how to manage their finances themselves. And I think it does go back to the idea, I think, uh, BMO, actually, a huge international bank, released a beautiful, beautiful uh, advertisement about this. You know, at a very, very early age, women across the world are discouraged from, you know, speaking up and discouraged from really getting an understanding and finding a love for math and for sciences. And so whenever we think about the position of even a, a school treasurer that usually goes to to a man, right? And whenever you think about uh, the idea of going through more statistics classes, it usually goes for men. And in some ways, it's almost like seen as a rite of passage, you know, learning how to manage the fi family's finances. And so I think at a very high level, men in general are exposed a little bit more um, earlier and, and more often. And for that reason, they have a little bit less of a struggle to try to address their own money and their own finance journey. And on the other side of things, women, or at least in, in my experience, are really encouraged and we learn how to spend. It, it's quite astonishing, actually, um, that, you know, the idea of retail therapy, you know, is something that I think almost universally every girl or woman knows about. And it's the idea that if you're having a bad day, go to TJ Maxx, get a couple of candles, you'll feel a lot better. And I, I would be lying if I said I don't do that regularly, you know, um, the idea of spending kind of correlated to, to feeling happy is something that is definitely permeated throughout all of our culture, but also particularly targeted at women. And so for that reason, we have a lot of confidence and we have a, a lot of know-how how to spend. But when it comes to how to invest or how to budget or how to invest uh, in, in just ourselves, kind of in our career, not even just in, uh, in a money sense, that's where women start to feel less confident because they're just not as familiar at a, at a higher level. Um, when you actually break it down, though, from kind of what we see at Commonwealth Coaching, the questions that men and women are having are actually quite similar. And for that reason, I'd love to be a part of really elevating this industry from polarizing one gender uh, from another to bringing people together that are at similar life stages to be able to ask and answer questions in a safe space. Because at the end of the day, people are still wondering, should I be prioritizing my student loans or investments? Should I be you know, looking into real estate or trying to grow a business? These are not questions that are gender or, or sex specific. And so based on that, I think there's a huge opportunity to actually see that there are vulnerabilities across both sides of things and start to band together to be able to manage our money in a way that, that seems relevant and that seems kind of accurate to the type of life that we want to live. Beautifully said, Leslie. And I can only second that from personal experience. When I started on this journey to educate myself on personal finance, there were 
not really any of my girlfriends that I could talk to because they were struggling with the same things. So I had to turn to my male friends, some of whom who had already started investing in the stock market while they were still in college. Like even in my family, none of the the females are are investing, whereas the majority of the the males are. So um, it's, it's def- definitely Ooh. something that's that's really interesting. And hopefully today's episode will encourage some of the female listeners to start uh, educating themselves and taking a leap of faith and figuring out their personal finances um yeah (laughs) wonderful um i think we're coming to the end of today's session but maybe my last question to you leslie if there is one easy but very effective measure our listeners can take today after listening to this episode in order to gain power over their money what would that what would that be yes wow i love this listeners i hope you have a pen and paper ready because this is going to be something you could do right here right now after listening to this episode i would kind of take that pen and with your piece of paper um create three different buckets maybe it's just you know writing a couple lines across that piece of paper. In the first bucket, I want you to to write down what are some of the kind of expectations and or drivers that I have? What are some of the things that I feel like are are adding into my financial journey? And and what am I expecting out of myself? Things like that might include, um, you know, I'm, I'm stressed about trying to help my family. I'm feeling nervous about not really understanding how to use this language or just in general, I really want to go to law school and I want to make sure that happens and that I can finance that. So that's bucket number one. Bucket number two is actually just dedicated to finance, um, financial literacy and finance resources. So this is where we're going to kind of write down questions or just topics of questions. Maybe they're I don't understand how many credit cards I should have. Maybe it's, I don't know if I should be investing. I don't know how to invest. Or just in general, I feel like I don't have control over my spending. I feel really anxious about this part of my finance journey. I feel excluded when I'm trying to talk about you know investing at, at work, around the water cooler, whatever it may be. That second bucket's where you can write down some of those financial questions. And then now having those two pieces of your thought process on paper, your drivers and your expectations, and then also some of those key questions, I would start to write down in that third column how you like to learn. Are you a reader? Do you like listening to podcasts? Do you like watching YouTube videos? Do you like reading books versus articles? Do you like talking out loud to people? You'll probably find that as you're, you know, kind of going throughout your own personal journey, there are several different ways that you like to take in information. But coming to terms with what those uh, kind of methods or what those mediums are can be incredibly helpful when you're starting to tackle a topic or an area that you're not familiar with. So maybe you do write down podcasts and YouTube videos, but you're not really trying to pick up another book. So now you've got this kind of cheat sheet to what your action might be, you know, taking a look at what's really motivating you, taking a look at what you're kind of worried about or nervous about. And now you know the mediums in which you want to move forward. If your question was about, you know, how can I increase my credit score? 
I would go into YouTube and search how to increase credit score. And you'll probably have to sort through a couple of, uh, you know, interesting videos and, and maybe do a little bit of digging there. But at that point, you'll actually start to exercise the muscle of being your own best advocate, starting to learn about what's being said in the field in a way that's relevant to you relevant from a topic standpoint and also relevant in the way that the information is being presented. So I hope listeners, you've been able to kind of remember those buckets, maybe even start writing them now. And I'll be so eager to hear what you've come up with and if there's any way that I can help. That's fantastic. I should probably go ahead and and do that uh, after we hang up today, Leslie. That's that's really, really great. And hopefully this will be um, helpful to a lot of you out there. Um, thank you so, so much for all that wisdom, Leslie. I personally have learned a lot today. It was so, so great to have you on today's show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Tamina. I absolutely love what you're doing and really want to continue supporting women everywhere in just better supporting themselves, better empowering their own journeys. So thank you for letting me be a part oh, of this. Of course, Leslie. My pleasure. And if you all want to learn more about how to trade money stress for real happiness, check out Leslie's podcast called Seeds or visit her website at Commonwealth Coaching. And that, folks, concludes our show. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Since we're just starting out, it would be amazing if you left us a positive review on Apple Podcasts and shared FemHive with all your female co-workers and girlfriends so we can empower as many young women as possible. Make sure to also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm Tamina Stoll, and I hope you will be tuning in again next week. Take care, ladies.